welcome to the How to Learn Anything course from Plato University, where you're going to learn the science-based tools of pro learners to accelerate your learning, remember more, and master any hard skills. These are the secret techniques they didn't tell you in school. If you're passionate about changing your life with learning, join us at Plato.University to get exclusive content with every lesson. I'm your learning guide, Brandon Stover, and let's get started. All right, up until this point, you've done a great job of learning what the explore techniques are, the things that help you work with material in an active and focused way. Our next set of techniques are going to help you really move this material from short-term memory to long-term memory. So our learning journey is now moving to the engagement phase. In this phase, we are recalling knowledge, practicing skills, and engaging in experiences that form relationships between foundational concepts. We are turning knowledge into true understanding. The goal at this stage is to understand concepts one level deeper. It's not enough to simply take in knowledge. The focus switches from getting a feel for the topic to studying how things work so that you can slowly build up progressively more accurate mental models of core concepts that you can apply later. You understand not only how to use a skill, but also how and why that skill is constructed the way it is. If we return back to our classical trivium, this is known as logic, which answers the why of a subject and establishing valid relationships among facts, yielding a systematic understanding of a subject. Really what we're saying here is we're trying to get information into our memory so that it can be applied later. If you recall back to our previous section, we're trying to move the knowledge we acquire in our short-term or working memory and store it in our long-term memory. Short-term memory is where we're consciously aware of the thoughts or facts that we're holding in our mind. Short-term memories can only be retained for about half a minute and we can only retain about three or four groups of information, which is why it's the major bottleneck of what we learn. If someone tells you a phone number to call right away, you store it in short-term memory between the moment of hearing it and when you finish tapping the number. In contrast, long-term memory contains everything we have learned and now known, all the facts, words, concepts, images, procedures, and so on. So our job when learning is to get that information in our short-term memory, begin to create links of knowledge and concepts, and store it in our long-term memory because the set of links you can have in your long-term memory is virtually limitless. Your working memory is going to have to work hard to eventually create the set of links in long-term memory that can easily be accessed and used to solve problems and understand concepts. Remember, if we get too many things in our working or short-term memory, it becomes overwhelmed and information starts to fall out. We reach our cognitive load, which is the total amount of mental effort being used by the working memory. The links that we're trying to create that get stored in our long-term memory are sets of links known as declarative knowledge or procedural knowledge. Declarative knowledge are the facts, concepts, words, and images that we learn. When we're trying to store this in long-term memory, we're trying to take all these facts that we gain from the information and create larger concepts, which are associations between facts and relationships that tie them together so that we can store it as a chunk in our mind rather than separate facts. These all begin to link together so that they can be called forth much easier in the future. The second sort of links that we're putting into our long-term memory is called procedural knowledge. And these are often automatic procedures for performing certain tasks or skills without needing to consciously think about the way we are doing them. For example, knowing how to do arithmetic, riding a bike, or how to produce grammatical sentences in your native language are all examples of procedural knowledge. We often begin by learning declarative knowledge about a rule or process, 
but after we use it a lot, it becomes procedural knowledge. For example, when you first learn a new language, you are probably very aware of the specific rules of grammar, but with practice, you can form sentences automatically and intuitively. The main reason it is important to keep in mind the distinction between declarative and procedural knowledge is that our limited short-term memory capacity is a major bottleneck in how we can learn and reason. When you can perform a skill automatically, you remove the burden on short-term memory, freeing it up to do other things like taking in new knowledge sets. For instance, after you have a lot of practice driving a car, you have no problem carrying on a conversation while steering, braking, watching out for obstacles, and so forth. So now you're beginning to see that our job in learning is to learn something declaratively, begin learning all those facts and relationships, and learning them so well that they become procedures or something that's automatic in our mind. So now you begin to see that when we're learning declarative knowledge, we're trying to create larger concepts or relationships between facts so that they become a set of links that's stored in our long-term memory. Likewise, when we're learning procedural knowledge, we're trying to learn a process or set of steps for a skill so that this also becomes a set of links that's stored in our mind. And the reason this becomes easier for us to use this information later is because if we can remember any one of these links in the entire set of links, it helps us to recall the rest of that information set. This helps us to access memories later. See, procedural knowledge is typically accessed by an appropriate trigger condition. So for example, we may learn the procedure to baking a cake. There's certain steps that you have to do in order to bake that cake, like mixing the flour, egg, and water, baking it at a certain temperature, leaving it in the oven for a certain amount of time, and when to pull it out and let it sit. But in order to use this knowledge about how to bake a cake, we have that very first step in the process, the very first step in our recipe. And that may be gathering all the cooking materials that we need, like the egg, water, and flour. By having that beginning cue of gathering all the recipe items, we can pull out the entire knowledge set, the entire recipe, or the procedure that we need to take. We also said that with declarative knowledge, we're linking together different facts in order to create larger concepts and relationships between those facts. Now, declarative memories aren't stored like neatly alphabetized files in a filing cabinet. Rather, they are cross-referenced directly and indirectly via other stored information. So when we have one fact and we create a relationship with another fact in our mind, when we go to recall this information later, we only need to remember either fact A or fact B in order to recall the other one. Everything we know fits into a web of knowledge in our long-term memories. And such a rich mass of association plays a crucial role in how we can best organize information in order to enter it in our long-term memory. How we retain information securely in long-term memory over time, and how we can later access that information when we want to use it. And of course, the goal of remembering anything is to eventually apply them in new contexts through transfer, which involves transferring knowledge or skills from one situation to another that seems different than that first context. Now you may be thinking, well, I have things like a phone or I can write things down. Why should I even bother with committing information to memory? And the answer is, you save time by knowing important information by heart. And during certain situations, such as a job interview, fixing a car on the side of the street in the middle of a remote town, or taking a licensing exam, you can't always look stuff up. But perhaps the most important reason for thoughtful memorization is that it can help you with complex problem solving and also help you to acquire a deeper understanding. Basically, whether you're grappling with the consequences of climate change or solving tough astrophysics problems, it's difficult to succeed without some memorization. What you need is quick and easy access to information from inside your head, 
That is, you want to have strong sets of links already established in your long-term memory about key information. Having these links readily available frees up your working memory and enables higher-level thinking. See, if you didn't work to actually memorize things and put sets of links in your long-term memory, you would always have to be looking everything up all the time and pushing that short-term memory and your cognitive load to the most extreme, which would take up a lot of time, especially if you need to solve a problem fast. Now, why is it so hard to remember things? Well, let's look at the science of Herman Ebbinghaus, who discovered the forgetting curve. This curve shows that we tend to forget things incredibly quickly after learning them, there being an exponential decay in knowledge, which is steepest right after learning. Now, this forgetting tapers off, and the amount of knowledge forgotten lessens over time. But essentially, our minds are a leaky bucket. However, most of the holes are near the top, so the water that remains at the bottom leaks out more slowly. Over the years, psychologists have identified at least three dominant theories to help explain why our brains forget much of what we initially learned. Decay, interference, and forgotten cues. The first theory of forgetting is that memories simply decay with times. And this is pretty straightforward. We remember events, news, and things learned in the past much more clearly than things from last month. Things learned this year are recalled with much greater accuracy than events from a decade ago. By this understanding, forgetting is simply an inevitable erosion of by time. The second reason we forget is interference. And this suggests that our memories, unlike the files of a computer, overlap one another in how they are stored in the brain. In this way, memories that are similar but distinct can start to compete with one another. If you're learning programming, for instance, you may learn what a for loop is and remember it in terms of doing something repeatedly. Later, you may learn about while loops, recursion, repeat until loops, and go-to statements. Now, each of these has to do with doing something repeatedly, but in different ways. So they may interfere with your ability to remember correctly the original concept of what for loop does. Now, there's two types of interference, proactive interference and retroactive interference. Proactive interference occurs when previous learned information makes acquiring new knowledge harder. Think about it as the space where that new information wants to be stored is already occupied by things that you already know. So forming the new memory becomes harder. Retroactive interference is the opposite, where learning something new erases or suppresses an old memory. Now, the third reason that we often forget and it's hard to remember is because of forgotten cues. And this says that many memories we have aren't actually forgotten, but simply inaccessible. The idea is that in order to say that one has remembered something, it needs to be retrieved from memory. Since we aren't constantly experiencing the entirety of our long-term memories simultaneously, this means that there must be some process for dredging up the information, given an appropriate cue. What may happen in this case is that one of the links in the chain of retrieving the information has been severed, perhaps maybe to decay or interference like we spoke of before, and therefore the entire memory has become inaccessible. However, if that cue were restored, or if an alternative path to the information could be found, we would remember much more than is currently accessible to us. So this is why we engage in so much in active and focused learning, so that we can embed rich cues within our mind. But as you'll learn in the following techniques, we're also going to engage in a lot of practice in order to strengthen these connections in our mind. Remember, we are invoking deep processing, which states that the more mental processing one performs on information, the more likely one is to retain that information. So as much as possible, the stuff that we learn and get into our head, we want it to stick and stay there. So how does all of this work in our learning process? Well, recall back to the previous section that our learning process first started with inputting information in an active and focused learning session. 
While we're engaging in that learning, we're alternating between focused and diffused learning, actively focusing on the material and then taking a break so that those connections get time to build. And now we're trying to move that information that we gained in that first learning session and move it from short-term memory to long-term memory. And we'll do that by practicing the material, engaging with it several times to start to really build up that myelin sheath on our neural connections and strengthen that set of links in our long-term memory. And we're also going to practice active recall, trying to pull those links out of long-term memory without looking at notes or some other thing that'll help us to recognize the information. And finally, we're going to create association between different links in our memory so that we create a web of knowledge where if we're able to want access one part of that knowledge, we can access all the other links. And all of this is going to help us to remember information better. And of course, our last step in our learning process is applying the material and creating new things with it. The only reason we're trying to remember all of this stuff that we're learning is so that we can actually apply it in our real life. So the techniques that are coming up now are techniques that are going to really help you to move that information you're learning from short-term memory to long-term memory and to strengthen that long-term memory so that when we get to the next section where we begin applying it in new situations, it's easy for you to pull from long-term memory. And we've fought off things like decay, interference, and forgotten cues. All right, our activity today is I want you to practice active recall again. This is one of our foundational techniques that we really want to get into our long-term memory of what it's about. So active recall means that we're trying to pull the information that we just learned from our own memory in order to better strengthen those neural connections that we made when learning and make sure that it's really lodged and embedded into our long-term memory. So what are the major key concepts from this lesson about memory today that you can actively recall and remember in the future? Thank you for taking the How to Learn Anything course. To get everything you need to become a pro learner, including advanced resources, personal coaching, and a community of passionate learners just like you, then visit plato.university slash courses slash learning and join us for free. Again, that's plato.university slash courses slash learning. This course was produced by Plato University, where students turn passions into purpose and learn skills to change the world. Learn more at plato.university.